Welcome to Smith Weekly Discussions, an occasional program for our readers and listeners of Smith Weekly Research. Please note this program is a private discussion and everything contained herein is for entertainment and educational purposes only. With that, we hope you're in a comfortable position, along with your favorite beverage, to enjoy the discussion. We remind our audience to examine the show notes attached to each of our shows to better understand how our program functions. Before we get into our discussion, we want to say thanks for questions coming from our audience at Smith Weekly, including Paul M., Kent P., and Jackie A. John Truman Wolf has joined the show today. John is an author, business entrepreneur, radio host, and newsletter editor covering various areas in finance, political policies, and more. You can learn more about John's work by visiting his website, strategicfinancialintelligence.com. John, it's a pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. Well, John, a lot of topics to talk about here, but let's get off the ground a bit by hearing some of your background and hearing a little bit about you first. All right. Well, um, uh, academically, I, I um, attended San Jose State University here in uh, California. I majored in history there. I graduated there. I did a year of graduate work. Uh, so I got a master's degree there. And then I taught there at San Jose State on Western American history and was intending to have an academic career. Uh, my father uh, had a home furnishings business in the Bay Area, which he'd had for decades. And uh, long story short, I had a, a newborn and my dad came down and asked me to come up and he was going to retire and wanted me to take things over. And I, I made a financial decision and went to, went to work for him for a few years, but he wasn't about to retire. And um, so I was going to leave that business and, and teach, and I was doing some night teaching, and, um, but there weren't any education jobs in California at the time, and uh, I had gotten a lot of finance training working for my dad and his company, and um, uh, long story short, I was, you know, an attractive candidate to a bank, so I went to work for a bank in the Bay Area, did very well there, went became the senior credit officer, later moved to Los Angeles and was the regional senior credit officer for a bank in Beverly Hills for some time, and then ran into an old friend of mine, and we started a business management company. Uh, business management is kind of a niche industry in Los Angeles and New York. Uh, we handle the business and financial affairs of entertainers, uh, almost all working Actors, actresses, producers, directors, singer-songwriters have business managers. Like you know, collect the income, pay the bills, handle the taxes, the investments, et cetera, et cetera. So I was the CEO of that company, uh, Wiseman and Burke, for 20 years or so, uh, and then I retired uh, from there a decade or so ago. And uh, the company still carries my name, but but uh, and then I began writing. I write both fiction and nonfiction. The uh, fiction uh, is a detective series, <laughs> which I I have a lot more fun writing than than uh, the nonfiction, which is um, generally on the global financial scene, the global banking scene. Uh, one book I published a couple of years ago called The Coming Financial Crisis became a number one Amazon bestseller. Another uh, book that's had a fair amount of traction because people are a little bit concerned about banking, is a book called The 99 Strongest Banks in America. I subsequently uh, started publishing a newsletter, which you mentioned, 
that's at strategicfinancialintelligence.com. And I write a monthly, I write a monthly newsletter covering the primary focus is on precious metals and cryptocurrencies, but not exclusively. And then I do a weekly radio show. And so the subscribers to the newsletter get the newsletter once a month and then a weekly transcription of my radio shows, in, in which case I interview folks and so forth. So uh, that's what I'm doing. I'm writing and, and broadcasting and, and publishing a newsletter. Well, lots of uh, experience there and broad range of different things, and many of them spark my interest as well. Let's get on to a couple of those subjects for a moment. You know, maybe you can talk about this because I suspect you covered it uh, pretty well in your book. But, you know, what's your view just broadly about the financial markets here in the U.S.? And what do you think can be expected over the next few years, John? Well, it's a... <laughs> It's a good question, and you know, I don't have a crystal ball. That said, I can tell you what you know. My research tells me. I focus primarily on precious metals and cryptocurrencies. The reason for that is gold and silver have started bull markets and are just kind of at the beginning of those. I think that there's another two or three years that the at least that the precious metals will continue to to escalate. Part of the reason for that, and there's a num number of uh, technical reasons I could get into, but most folks know, or at least have some awareness that the US Federal Reserve Bank has poured, um, and I can't even keep track of the number anymore, but somewhere between three and four trillion, that's with a T, trillion dollars into the US economy. Um, that argues strongly for inflation uh, because inflation is basically defined as the amount of money in circulation relative to the goods and services. So if you and I are in a room with, um, you know, 30 people, everybody's got 10 bucks in their pocket and I'm at the front of the room and I've got an orange and everybody wants the orange, the, 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 the money will bid for the orange and the orange will likely sell for 10 bucks. If everybody in that room has got a hundred bucks in their pocket, the price of the orange is likely to be a hundred dollars. So here we sit with an extra three, four trillion in the economy and the production is not strong. So that argues for inflation, which in turn is one of the reasons I'm a strong supporter of precious metals. The cryptocurrency markets, um, have basically become alive in the last, you know, I don't know, six months. Um, and I'll, I, you know, confess, you go back a couple of years, I was all poo-poo on Bitcoin, but no more. Uh, cryptocurrencies are here to stay. Um, they're not going away. Um, and so we have two basic channels of digital currencies. One is the decentralized cryptocurrency market. That's, you, you know, Bitcoin, Ethereum, Ripple, if, if your listeners are familiar with those names, there's just a few of the top ones. But those are decentralized, meaning there's no central authority running those. You know, the government couldn't sue Bitcoin. There's no board of directors. There's no, it's just people trading. The other form of digital currencies are centralized. And at this time, about 80% of the banks, central banks on the planet are testing, 
um, in some case, implementing digital currencies, CBDCs, central bank digital currencies. This is the primary financial move on the planet as we speak of banks seeking to replace cash in your bank account with zeros and ones. This is coming. This is no conspiracy theory stuff. This is, uh, this is definitely coming. Um, China, um, the largest industrial nation on the planet, which is working with digital currencies, now has four cities that are operating on digital currencies. Uh, this is kind of a test for them. People are being paid in digital currencies. Various central banks around the world are in the process of implementing this. There was a speech a few months ago by the president of the Federal Reserve Bank of Cleveland. Um, for your listeners who may or may not know, there are 12 different Federal Reserve Banks in the United States. The big one is in New York, of course. But uh, the president of the Cleveland Fed made a speech here a little bit ago, earlier in the year, uh, calling for or talking about Americans setting up their bank accounts with the central bank, bypassing the banking system entirely and setting up uh, their account with the central bank, who would then put zeros and ones into your bank account. The problem with that is the Fourth Amendment becomes a doormat because the central bank and, and via them the government can follow every single transaction that gets made. You know, you go in to see your doctor because uh, you've got some ailment. <clears throat> the doctor gives you a prescription. You pay the doctor with a digital currency. The doctor turns around and, and sends a digital currency to a pharmaceutical company to buy some, you know, some drugs. The pharmaceutical company sends the money to their lobbyist in Washington. The lobbyist sends the money to an escort to escort a congressman to a dinner. The escort sends the money to her plastic surgeon to get some new body parts. The plastic surgeon sends the money to his cocaine dealer because he's got a habit. Now, I'm being a little funny and a little bit dramatic there, but not so much. <laughs> the point is that the government can follow every single transaction as it goes through that scenario that I just made up. Uh, so there's your privacy will be gone, and it's a major concern of mine. I've been writing a, a great deal about it. So, but this is coming. It, it's I mean, in terms of looking at finances on the planet, uh, the uh, coming digital currencies uh, are, are a major one. In terms of the health of the country, the Dow has you know busted thirty thousand. Uh, I'll be dead frank with you. I don't understand it. There's still millions of people out of work. Uh, businesses are closed here. Um, I live in California and I can't tell you the number of, of friends of mine that are small business owners that are just, they're just shut. Um, and while the severity of that varies around the country, uh, it's, still, it's still a major factor. So, um, I, I I don't like to be pessimistic, but I don't look forward to the economics of 2021, regardless of who is the president. 
In Europe, uh, the situation isn't any better. China is not doing well economically. So in general, the finances of the planet are not strong. And this pandemic, which is a whole other subject, is making things worse. Let's stay off COVID because uh, we've got some other, I would say, more interesting stuff to talk about. (laughs) But some good points. I know that the IMF is working on uh, doing some testing also on the crypto blockchain front. There's certainly central banks and a lot of other folks out there, both centralized and decentralized uh, efforts to uh, to bring out their own cryptocurrency or, you know, blockchain-based currency. And I want to leave gold separate for a moment because you touched on cryptocurrencies. To some degree, they seem to be something that can be engineered. There's a lot of them. There's no stoppage of a person starting something tomorrow as far as a cryptocurrency. What do you think? I mean, they're competing for hearts and minds. Do you see that these vehicles are really, really finite in light of government control outside of that? And also that a group of people in the future wouldn't get together and say, let's dilute it or let's split the uh, structure. What's your thoughts on just the fact that they could be another dilutive instrument? Well, a very very good question. Within the cryptocurrency world, you have basically kind of two kinds of cryptos. I mean, there's all kinds of them, as your your listeners may know. I mean, I mean, Bitcoin hit uh, hit the world in 2009, and it was the only crypto on the planet for a couple of years. And then the progeny started, and we stand today with something in the order of 7,000 crypto decentralized cryptocurrencies. Now that said, some of those uh, currencies and the, the granddaddy of the currencies, Bitcoin, have no product or service. It's just um, speculation. That currency was originally developed to become an international. Uh, uh, currency by which people could buy and sell things, but it has become over the years basically an investment vehicle. There are there are vendors around the planet that take Bitcoin, um, more and more of that, but th- that original purpose really isn't what drives the price of Bitcoin. But there's nothing really behind it other than agreement of investors. On the other hand, there are cryptos that represent uh, some world-class goods and services. Ethereum is a, is a perfect example. You're talking about blockchain. Um, uh, and Ethereum, uh, the, the coin there is called Ether, kind of represents that software effort that puts blockchain there. Uh, Ripple, uh, a, a company that provides a service to international banks for uh, you know, global trans, instant global transactions. So there are cryptos that represent some world-class stuff. The the Ripple program, you know, as I said, I'm a former banker. I, you know, that's very cool. So some represent goods and services, some do not. You know, can the the cryptocurrency market be taken down? You know, I suppose if there was a concerted effort and enough money, uh, you, you could you could manipulate those things, no question. Uh, so I, I don't think they're immune from that any more than, frankly, you know, any international currency is immune from that. There is the 
infamous story of George Soros shorting the British pound and, and basically breaking the Bank of England. So currencies, fiat currencies or cryptocurrencies are manipulatable and are manipulated. Um, how much of that's going on in the cryptocurrency market, uh, I, I don't know. The stats that I follow uh, and the graphs that I monitor leads me to believe that there are people behind the prices of these things that are manipulating those prices. That's another kind of another subject, but I think it's you know my effort to answer your question. Yes, yeah, it's, it's fantastic, and you bring up more points. Look, we know that even things like gold, to some degree, are not necessarily can escape the reach of the government. And so, but it wouldn't hurt from a stroke of a pen for the IRS to say, look, cryptocurrencies, if you have cap gains, you know, we're going to tax it at a 90% rate. I mean, there's nothing to stop that from happening. And of course, if you don't do that, then we'll just enforce. And as you know, the Treasury Department and, and everybody else, all the other agencies can get on that bandwagon and track people down and make them pay fees or you know taxes and also revoke a passport you know whatever it might take to get you to conform and so i think that's a part of this as well now there's obviously some strategies there but uh you know i think also you mentioned the dow the market going up going up going up in light of what's going on economically with the amount of stimulus and and you mentioned the stimulus numbers which I think are direct numbers, but the indirect stimulus via Federal Reserve and the bond buying and the ETF buying, et cetera, all the other programs, the lending to the states, all of that, I think it's even much higher than that number cumulative. What about the thought process of you've got cryptocurrencies out there, you've got hard assets like commodities, gold, silver, base metals, et cetera, real estate, and you get into these real assets and you look at cryptocurrency, and then you look at what the government does with diluting the dollar this year. Look, if the government's not going to respect an interest rate in my bank account, the government's not going to respect the dollar by printing trillions of dollars. Why don't I use my savings, which doesn't earn anything, and why don't I buy real assets? Do you think that that might have something to do with the stock market going up, one? And then also the second question, what about the thought process of people asking themselves when they hold Bitcoin in their hand or on their thumb drive, whatever it might be, and say, what is money? Do you think that's being asked now? <laughs> uh, I think it's being asked more than it, than it has been. Let me go back to your, to your first question. I think the primary reason that the, that the Dow is going up is the 0% interest rates. Uh, I think that's, you know, I think that's driving the stock market. You go and buy a a utility company stock and and get a two three four percent dividend um you know i mean just the simple simple economics of that uh we, you know will drive the market in addition to that as you just noted the fed has been uh, uh participating now in the equities market so i don't know i mean i think that's the two primary factors that are driving it I think it's a bunch of hot air, frankly. The economy doesn't justify a 30,000 Dow, in my opinion. But you know, when you've got the 0% interest rates, a lot of things happen. I mean, I expected the real estate market to suffer during this pandemic. It hasn't. It's boomed. Boomed may be too strong a verb, but it, you know, it's up. The real estate market generally across the country is up. Certainly in California, it's up. And that's because, you know, you can get, I've got a friend that's a dear friend that's a mortgage broker 
I was talking to him last week and he's doing, you know, 30 year fixed mortgages for like two and a quarter all day long. That's hardly a mortgage. I mean, and, and I'm having, <laughs> I confess to you, I'm having my house refinanced for that. When the, the Fed's doing that kind of manipulation it, with the interest rates, it, it creates effects all over the place. And you mentioned, just to, to back up a minute, the IMF talking about digital currencies. Look, the governments control your behavior with these things. And this is coming. Uh, some years ago, well, some years ago, a couple of years ago, Christine Lagarde, who was the head of the IMF, you know, this French communist woman who was the head of the IMF, and somebody asked her at a conference, and this is when cryptos weren't quite, or digital currencies weren't quite so in favor uh, or spoken about, and some reporter asked her, you know, what about digital currencies, and expected her to blow them off. And she did just the opposite. She said, I think, you know, this is really, uh, you know, something we need to look at and so forth. So, um, I mean, she gave a very positive uh, response. So you've got the BIS pushing this. The BIS stands for the Bank for International Settlements. The Bank for International Settlements is the godfather of the global financial mafia. This is a bank in Basel, Switzerland, which most people have never heard of which sits atop the banking world. Swiss law does not affect it. Its employees are immune from prosecution. They have their own law enforcement on the property. They're above the law. And the 55 key central banks of the world are members there. They fly into Basel, Switzerland periodically, get their marching orders, and they go home. Clearly, clearly, there is an effort here globally to turn the planet's financial structure into digits, um, which empower, I, just to repeat, I mean, this empowers government not only to follow what you do, but to monitor and dictate behavior. You know, guy goes into the liquor store to buy a six pack of beer, gives the, gives the clerk his card and gets back a note and goes, nah, this is the third six pack this month. Sorry, <laughs> you know, you can't buy it you know, oh, you wanted to buy a pack of cigarettes, you know, forbidden by law. I'm not suggesting that people buy beer and cigarettes. I'm just trying to make, trying to make a point that the, the amount of control government will have over what you buy, you know, oh, no, you can't, you know, too many carbohydrates in that, you're obese, sorry. And this is not just, a, you know, something in the U.S., this is a global phenomenon. And the IMF is looking to have an international digital currency, replace the SDR or make the SDR, uh, SDR for your listeners to answer is special drawing rights, it's the currency of the IMF, turn that into digits. So there's a major movement here to get rid of cash, to replace the money in bank accounts with zeros and ones, to provide more control for governments. You're talking about what the IRS could do they can, you know, you got digit, you got zeros and ones in your bank account, <laughs> you know, zip, they're gone. So these are challenging times, very challenging times. Anyway, I don't know if I've, I've wandered a little there. I'm not sure I answered your question, but um, that, that's my view of what's going on. Yeah, certainly some evil times at that, John. But 
So stay on the subject here because I want to move on to nuclear power and uranium and, and other things here in a moment. But let's first finish up here on the topic. You can't leave out gold. So what's your thoughts on where gold has a role to play here, physical gold and also gold equities? Well, I mean, we both know gold's been currency, you know, currency for five, six, seven, eight thousand years. Uh, silver the same. And when the stuff hits the fan, gold and silver, you know, people, you know, go to their gold and silver. Uh, I think it will continue to have a place, I think, stronger and stronger as we go forward and the economies uh, that, as we've talked about, continue to weaken uh, to some degree that the price of uh, precious metals will continue to go up. Uh, it was very clear to me uh, last year uh, I could, you could look at, I'm a kind of a technical guy, so I operate on graphs. You could see the top, that gold was being held at 1400. It's being held there. I said, you know, it's gonna break and, and run. And so it did, and uh, you know, it's, I don't know, trading at 18 and change now. Uh, silver, the same. You could see the base on silver at $19. It broke that and is trading $24.50. So um, I'm a strong believer in, in precious metals. I think people should have some percentage of their assets in precious metals. I'm also a buyer and promoter of junior gold mining stocks. This is a little more risky. These things are a little more volatile. I think the base thing to have is, you know, have some bullion in your home. And I'm not, you know, there are a lot of services that provide the, you know, the the facility of, you know, hold gold and silver, you know, the Perth Mint down in Australia or their, you know, places in Singapore and stuff, the best places are safe in your home, in my opinion. There are um, junior gold mining stocks, which I like, and, and uh, I've got a friend of mine who's a real expert in that area, and I have the, the good fortune of being able to, you know, I do my analysis and then kind of bounce them off of him. So, Personally, I do both. I do bullion and I do junior gold mining stocks. I'm a fan of both, not just gold, but also some silver for some pop and some leverage, even some base metals and, and some of your other precious metals as well, I think have a part to play. On the physical side, I, I certainly, depends on where you live in the world, but I do believe in a diversification strategy for the physical, both at home and abroad. I'm a big fan of some split uh, diversification on that front just because of History would tell you that, that that probably is a prudent move, especially in the U.S. Uh, with what happened during the 30s. Just off of gold, off of silver for a moment, with potential inflation coming, which I think uh, that's where we're ultimately headed, although it may seem like deflation right now. What's your thoughts on base metals? Do you see in general that base metals also have some room to run because of their real asset, hard asset properties, but also just their industrial use? Absolutely. I follow them as I can, and I am a fan of them for the very reasons that you just said. I just My newsletter, which I just published yesterday, uh, explores uh, three uh, blue gas companies, hydrogen uh, fuel cell companies. Uh, the base metals, I, in general, I like for the very reasons that you said. I think there's something that I would stick my toe in the water on. 
Yeah, I think if you look at things like, you know, fertilizer companies, potash companies, et cetera, I think that these have been bombed out, have been starved for capital, have, have really enjoyed a low price environment, which has been a, a bear market, which, as you know, tends to disrupt supply chains. So I think places like that and, and certainly, you know, copper, uh, even oil and gas in some cases uh, can still look attractive where they are today after what's happened. There's some interesting propositions on that front. But before we move on here, on the gold equity, silver equity front, is there maybe a name you want to share with the audience that you like? Maybe something that's not a paid promotion? <laughs> what? Nobody pays me for promotion. Excellent. That's a good thought. Maybe I should talk to some of these folks. No, I don't. Nobody pays me for promotion. I, yeah, I like, there's a company called, uh, which has the uh, appropriate name, Gold Mining Incorporated. And it's trading for, a, I looked at it today and I forgot, I think $2.27, something like that. Very, very smart guy running that company. Um, I interviewed him on my radio show, sharp guy. Uh, they've got, I think, 11 million ounces of gold in the ground. And then um, they just created, I say just like a few months ago, created a subsidiary which is a gold royalty mining uh, firm. So that's part of the company. Uh, it, that one just looks good to me. I've done well with it. Uh, I think it's got a lot of room to run. So I like that company. I like, who else is good? Uh, um, Calibre Mining is, uh, uh, I'm a fan of. Anyway, there's a couple. Familiar with both. We've had uh, Amir Adani on our show representing UEC, which is a uranium focused company. Caliber Mining is a portfolio holding of Smith Weekly Research. And I'm certainly aware of Gold Mining Inc., although it's not a portfolio company, certainly aware of it. Um, well, let's move on. I want to get your view on energy. And specifically, I'd like to know if you're a fan of nuclear power. Well, uh, I am. Uh, and I'm about. <laughs> You're, you're, you're a little bit ahead of me. I, you know, I've just done a, a fair amount of research and wrote uh, a newsletter uh, on the uh, lithium-ion batteries on Musk on the electric vehicle market, which is, I'm sure you know, is basically booming around the world, not only here, but in Europe, uh, China, and uh, India, and uh, the lithium-ion batteries, and then started researching uh, hydrogen fuel cells. And I'm sure, you know, I know there's an ongoing debate environmentally and otherwise, but I think uh, hydrogen fuel cells are, uh, in terms of the energy for the electrical vehicle market, they're going to win that race. And I think, I don't know that Elon Musk is ever going to suffer anything. He's a very bright guy. But uh, I think hydrogen fuel is is coming to the planet, has been coming to the planet, and is about to kind of break through. In terms of uh, nuclear energy, it's interesting that you ask because I just started uh, a little bit of research on that subject so that I could you know, issue a newsletter on it, but I, I'm a long, long way from an expert on that subject. With what we have on, on the energy front, just talking about high-level energy, but when it comes to things like coal, natural gas, uh, geothermal, hydroelectric, wind, and solar, when you look at certainly the big push over the last, you know, call it two decades for solar and wind, really the last 15 years, maybe 10 years even, we all know that solar and wind is intermittent. It's certainly not baseload. The uptime is pretty 
terrible. The component replacement, you know, the panels, the batteries, you know, that component typically still has a, a life that might be 10 years if you're lucky. What's your thoughts on nuclear power being a baseload source of power, way more dense uh, and a whole nother planet as far as density of power being a cornerstone clean energy source that has the smallest waste footprint of any other source? Well, I like it. From what I know about nuclear energy, I, I like it. You, you, you bring to mind a presentation I made to the senior loan committee of the bank when I was back as a banker on, on, the, on this subject. Um, and we were making a loan to somebody. I don't even remember who it was. In my opinion, this is more a PR battle. Because if you look at wind and solar, they get all the press from the environmental community. And let me hasten to add, my wife is the international president of the Earth Organization. So, so uh, you know, environmental, environmentalism, sane environmentalism lives in this house. You know, good pro-survival solutions to the environment. Um, but wind and solar, in my opinion, have been hyped. Uh, they, they, they sound sexy. I can drive out to Palm Springs and, and look at the wind farms. But uh, uh, I think nuclear energy is much, much, much better source of ongoing energy for the planet. And I think, um, I'm not sure what, you know, what your view is on uh, hydrogen, but uh, I think there's great opportunity there. Uh, Duke Power just put a quarter of a billion dollars into uh, a hydrogen uh, cell facility. Uh, and I, th I don't know if they're the biggest energy company in the U.S., but they're one of the biggest. But from what I know of nuclear energy, I really like it. Duke is a nuclear power plant operator in the U.S., as you know, among other sources. And, you know, Exelion is the largest U.S. Uh, nuclear utility. Makes a lot of sense. I certainly support future sources of energy. I do believe that uh, the best thing we have in front of us is nuclear. But if we can harness things like fusion, that makes sense. But the waste footprint for the sources of power we have today, you know, nuclear is no doubt a standalone. We know where it is. It's secured. Uh, it's protected. It's small footprint. It doesn't harm anybody. Whereas batteries being recycled, uh, that's not even tracked. The environmental impacts from the land footprint, from wind and solar, the wildlife impacts and solar covering a desert to me doesn't make any sense, nor does it make sense putting wind turbines on the oceans. I agree that the PR is the big battle. I think that it is turning and that nuclear will certainly start to catch a tailwind as we move on here, and especially small nuclear. I think that uh, there's a lot of potential applications that have seen small modular reactors for 50 plus years, you know, nuclear submarines, uh, battleships, carriers that are all nuclear powered. There's even some commercial vessels that are nuclear powered. I think that these small applications should find its way into a commercial infrastructure, you know, onshore. So we'll see how that goes. Let's move on. Let's talk a little bit more just on this other subject, because this is related to nuclear. John, you've probably heard and seen news about the uranium mining sector, which obviously is the feedstock fuel for nuclear power. Do you have a view on uranium equities, uranium mining equities specifically? <laughs> You're poking into things that I've just uh, uh, begun to have serious interest in, in writing about. I have a uranium com uh, company that I have been investigating that looks really, really good. I'm not going to mention the name at this point because I'm not done with my research. 
But I think that it looks to me, and the, the little I know, obviously you can correct me, but it, from my initial research, it appears that that market has been uh, in a bear market for the last, what, decade or so, and is beginning to turn. And um, I think there's some great opportunity in, uh, you know, some uranium stocks. Uh, the ones that uh, my friend has referred to me, I'm just beginning to, to research. I like this area. I like it a lot. Well, I can tell you we know them all. We're one of the groups that has studied it among probably, I can think of maybe five groups that I'm aware of that uh, have studied it very deeply. I certainly know all the companies globally, and we've spent a lot of time since really 2016 investigating the sector, and we became bullish in 2017. I'm happy to admit that we have been early. We haven't been wrong, but we've certainly been early. Here we are today, and things are looking amazingly fantastic, and uh, nothing's happened really for all these years, which has also compounded the problem, which you'll find as you continue to study into not the demand side, but the supply chain breakage that's occurred. Focus on the supply chain. You don't even need to worry about the demand side, because once you realize what's happening on the supply chain and you look at a high level of the demand number, you're already sold on what needs to happen. So let's move on. You know, you've spent some time internationally, John. What are your thoughts on being internationally diverse at this point? And do you think it's a smart move, really, given what we've witnessed in 2020? You know, definitely. I mean, I'm a real patriot here. I taught American history. I love this country. I love my state that's being destroyed. But we're witnessing the decline and fall of the American Republic. I hate to say it, but, you know, the statistics just speak too loudly. That said, you know, doing the, the research on where to go and what to buy and what to buy where, I had an interesting um, uh, experience some years ago when I first published uh, the book, The Coming Financial Crisis. It actually it was originally published under another name, and then I added some chapters, got a new publisher, and changed the name. But it was called Crisis by Design, uh, which was on the BIS is the Bank for International Settlements involvement in the in the global financial crisis of 2008. Anyway, a friend of mine in Taiwan got the book to some people in Beijing. You know, she sends me an email and she says, you know, the people at the CCP in Beijing would like to talk to you about the solutions in the book. I thought it was a joke. I said, well, have them fly me over business class and put me up in this hotel. I, I knew a few nice hotels in Beijing, and she sends me an email back. She goes, they'll fly you any way you want. They'll put you up wherever you like. So I, so the, <laughs> the Chinese government flew me to Beijing for a week of meetings. And um, interesting set of meetings, including with uh, a woman named Dr. Wang, who was one of the founders of the PBOC, the People's Bank of China, the central bank there. And also dinner with uh, a guy whose name escapes me. I'm not sure I ever could pronounce it. But he's the president of China Gold, which is the Chinese government's 60% owned gold mining consortium. China's the largest producer of gold on the planet. And this guy was buying up gold mines around the world like Pac-Man. I mean, he was, you know, South America, even in the U.S., um, and he was looking at backing the yuan or the RMB with gold. And I told him there wasn't enough gold on the planet to do it. And anyway, we had a little bit of a arguments, too strong a word, but discussion about it. But just kind of speaking internationally, that country is very gold focused. It remains gold focused. 
Now, that said, they're now rolling out, as I said earlier, this digital currency, the uh, digital RMB. For your listeners, RMB stands for renminbi, which is one of the two names of the Chinese currency. One's called yuan, the other renminbi. It's the same thing. And there's talk about them backing this digital currency with gold. I mean, there's a, a tremendous PR assault on China and the United States, maybe may well-deserved. You know, I've gotten to the point that I so disbelieve anything coming out of Washington on a PR line that I have to do my own research before I make up my mind. But um, I have friends doing some very handsome investments in Singapore. And, you know, some of these, speaking internationally, some of these digital mining companies, I've got an investment in one called, what's it called? I'll have to find the name before I sign off with you. The stock is booming. And these guys, they're uh, crypto miners, right? And he's got uh, facilities in Iceland, in Sweden, in Norway, you know, because the computers heat up and they need a cold environment. And this is the only company that I know of or could find that you can buy stock in the in the company and they're crypto miners. It's not Hive, and, is it? Yes, that's it. <laughs> I couldn't remember the name. Hive, yeah. And this little, you know, in the last couple of weeks, it's just like spiked up. I bought it way back. and uh, But I like it. If you read the story on these guys, uh, I like that company. I'm not, I'm not sure where they're based. I, the interview I read, they were in Iceland. I want to suspect their headquarters is in Canada, but their operations are primarily no, in you're Iceland. No, you're right. TSX yep. or TSXV listed, I suspect. You know, but you're right. The points about China, Zijin Mining is going around scooping up base metal projects. We, we've seen them in Central South America. We've seen them compete for assets in the Balkans. Uh, Nevsun, um, they won out. Uh, Zijin did on that to get that copper project in Serbia. We've also seen them go after a lot of gold projects. We've seen them partner with uh, Ivanhoe Mines with their two substantial world-class assets in the DRC in South Africa. Back to the question, you know, the international part of it. I really do think it's a fantastic time to have your foot in other places around the world. It makes sense from a financial standpoint, from a livability standpoint, from a human standpoint, not necessarily a citizen a resident to have other options to be able to live legally in other countries. I think that that makes sense. And there's some nice options on that front. So, well, John, let's get ready to wrap up here. What are you telling your clients right now? What services are you providing to your clients? Uh, maybe you can speak to your newsletter and the cost and maybe just highlight that for the audience. The newsletter, strategicfinancialintelligence.com. The primary focus is, as I said earlier, on precious metals and uh, cryptos. I usually make, and it comes out once a month, I usually make specific recommendations in that newsletter. In addition to that, as I said, I do a weekly radio show and in some cases, you know, interview um, various opinion leaders. You mentioned uh, Amir Adani. I had uh, interviewed him as well, bright, you know, bright guy. But anyway, the point being that the audio, I take the audio file from the newsletter, uh, send it to a transcription service, and they convert the audio into text. And then so my subscribers get a weekly text of the radio show in addition to the monthly newsletter. Uh, the newsletter is 99 bucks. It's two bucks a week. Um, I think it's a good deal. <laughs> I, you know, occasionally I get into other subjects. I've, I've so 
uh, I've enjoyed the interview because there are areas that you're obviously deeply involved in that I'm just beginning to to look at. But things like nuclear and uranium and so forth are are uh, of strong interest to me. Uh, my last two newsletters, one was on, uh, you know, lithium-ion batteries and what that meant to the electrical vehicle market, and then the recent one is on the competition from hydrogen fuel. And occasionally, I wander off into politics and government surveillance, which I which I hate. I've got a newsletter that exposed, I did nothing but write on the crimes of George Soros um, and who he is. I've also written, uh, this is maybe politically incorrect for your audience, I have no idea, but uh, a newsletter on Bill Gates and what uh, he and his foundation are doing relative to basically genocidal vaccination of, of young women in South Africa and India. Uh, it's just, uh, it's terrible. Anyway, so occasionally I drift off into those subjects, but uh, I always make investment recommendations. And um, yeah, there you go. John, how can the audience reach out to you for more information about your work and any questions they might have? You know, you can you can email, you can go to the site, Strategic Financial Intelligence, and you can email me from there. And I'd be delighted to, you know, answer questions and, and whatever. Um, as I'm sure you know, I'm not a registered investment advisor, and so I can't make specific investment recommendations. Uh, you know, I can talk about ge general areas, but I, I would just caution people, you know, if they go, okay, good, uh, would you manage my portfolio? I, I can't, I, you know, I don't do that. But you can, I'll tell you the best way to email me. Let me just, I'll cut to the chase. Email me at Bruce, B-R-U-C-E, Bruce at BruceWiseman.net. Bruce at BruceWiseman.net. I'll quickly tell your audience's story. Bruce Wiseman is my name. I operate under the pen name of John Truman Wolf. Because when I started writing, Bruce Wiseman didn't sound like a very authorly name. So I wanted a strong name as an author because I was writing uh, spy novels. And John Truman Wolf is my grandfather's name. Well, John, look, fantastic conversation. You know, really appreciate you coming on and taking the time with the audience. You know, stay well out there and good luck. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. I enjoyed the conversation.